Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Do not feel guilty. I'm going to say it again. Do not feel guilty. It can be really easy when it comes to Sunday morning messages, uh, especially revolving around life choices, you know, making changes at the beginning of a year. Sometimes it has this way of bringing on a feeling of guilt for what you didn't do, what you didn't accomplish. You know, some of us are like a New Year's resolution. I haven't even met like one on my list completely from last year. I, I understand that. And I don't want to make this whole series about New Year's resolutions, right? But, but, I, but I don't at any point want us to feel guilty. Let me say it like this. This is not what today is about. It's not about guilt, which brings on fear of, can I do better? Did I do more? Oh my gosh, they're doing better than me. This isn't a comparison game. It's just a way for us to focus. I believe this series, Now's the Time, is about making choices in the present to fulfill our potential as individuals, as intended by God. God has a plan for our life. He has a purpose for our life. And I like the idea of a purpose more than anything, that you have purpose, I have purpose. And so we're going to look at that idea today about this is making choices in the present. And so today I, I title this, Now's the Time. We're going to start out every week with Now's the Time. Here's what today is, to be present. To be present. Look at the person next to you and say, Now is the time to be present. There's something about being present that changes our perspective, right? Being present literally changes our perspective. When I was growing up, there was this running joke in our house, our household um, that you could pretty much say anything to dad, especially if he was focused, and you could get the answer you wanted. Like, usually the answer would be, mm-hmm, yeah, sure, sounds good. You know, if he's really focused on something. And sometimes we would play this out, be a little game. I, I, you know, 14 years old, be like, hey, Dad, uh, I'm going to take the car out for the night. I don't know when I'm going to be back. And sometimes I would get, it was just all just to see if he'd go, yeah, okay, sounds good. And we're like, yeah, we got him. Now, sometimes he was listening. He'd be like, uh, no, you're not. I'm like, oh, we didn't get him. But I never could quite understand that. How could a dad be in the same room, conversations are happening, but not hear the conversation? I never could understand that. Until I became a dad. And it's crazy. I know, Chuck, you're laughing, but it's the truth, right? Like, like this morning even, I'm, I'm going over my notes. I'm focusing on some things. And my son Aiden's talking to me. And I'm hearing this conversation. And then I had to laugh because I went, I'm sorry, son. What did you say again? Like there were words happening, but it wasn't computing because I was focused on something else. How many know being present is important? There's certainly something about being present that changes our perspective. And so for a lot of us, it's time to zero in in a way that we start to change our perspective. And so today is about one of the most important things that I believe, at least in my humble opinion, that we can start with. And that's why I'm starting the series with this idea, and it's the idea of being present. Say it one more time, be present. So for me, in the past couple of years of, I would call it spiritual renewal, you know, we should be going through phases continually through the journey of, of spiritual renewal. Um, I also could call it like death and resurrection moments. There should be moments where we're dying to old ideas and beliefs, but we're resurrecting to new ones. How many have experienced that in their life? And it's a beautiful thing. It's part of the process. In fact, how many know that even a seed goes on the ground to die in order to sprout into something? I mean, there, there's something about this process that's built into the very fabric of creation. And so we have to have these moments where I would call it spiritual renewal. And so for me, over the last especially 12 to 18 months, it's been marked foremost by a rediscovery of being present, of prayer, of God's presence. What, what does that really mean? And, and it's really changed my idea of what it means to pray and experience the presence of God. Now, it's not like I suddenly two years ago or 18 months ago said, you know, I should probably start to pray. No, 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 no. I, I do, as Paul says, pray without ceasing, I, without ceasing, but also without ceasing. 
I have this continual connection, I believe. I really believe that with, with my Heavenly Father, this continual connection with God. And because of that, it's a constant state of, of conversation. It should be a conversation, right? But, but for me, you know, let me say this first of all. We all have been formed by a set of habits, We've created habits in our life. It's just how it is. That's how we work. Now, this can be good or bad. Uh, you know, so many times we focus on bad habits. But the thing is, some of us have good habits, and that's a good thing. And, and in my spiritual walk for years and years and years, I have formed the habit of being a studier of the text, a studier of scripture and, and language, historical content. Listen, if, if you've gone here for just even a couple months, you know that Pastor Andy likes to dig. I like to study. This is just, I think I'm wired that way. It's something in my personality, my Enneagram, however you want to look at it. There's something about me, I'm wired that way, where I love to study. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, part of what I was missing was that spiritual experience. And, and I'm not talking about, <laughs> I don't want to confuse this with some weird idea of what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to move in our life. Listen, some of you have seen that. There's plenty of YouTube stuff. People, I'm not talking, the Holy Spirit's not weird, okay? But there's a genuine experience. And I can remember there's key moments in my life as a young man and as a teenager in 20s and 30s. There's these key moments where, let me say it like this, a spiritual experience where you just know that you know that you know in your heart of hearts that God is real. No one can convince you otherwise. Because let's be honest, there's no way that I can prove to you that God is real. Just as an atheist can't prove that God isn't real. It's called a faith thing, right? But I'm telling you, in my heart, in my experience, in my spiritual experience, I know that God's real. God's real to me, and there's a connection there. I'm simply saying that in this time, I became more aware of God's presence, a presence, by the way, that was already there, and it changed my perspective. It changed my perspective on things like prayer. Prayer took a different shape in my life because it's more than just a set of ideas. It's being present. And so for me, if, if, if someone were to say, hey, did you pray today? What we normally think of is you find a space or a place. Usually it can be quiet or not. Depends on your situation. If you've got six kids running around, yeah, it might be hard to find that. But we have this conversation, right? We talk to God. We have words that we say to God. What most people say, prayer is when I'm talking to God. But what I found a lot of times, and maybe I'll just use my, my own life as an example. If I wasn't careful, my prayer became a monologue rather than a dialogue. So it was me just saying things and saying things to God and, and giving him my list. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I mean, it's all on perspective. I understand that. But what I found, and it's really, it's radically transformed my life, and I alluded to it quite a bit last year, but I want to encourage you to even consider, is finding moments to just be quiet. I found these moments to just be quiet, no agenda, and just meditate. How many know that even the scriptures say to meditate on the Lord? There's something about meditation there's something about being quiet. But being quiet can be very uncomfortable. You feel how uncomfortable that was for a minute? Like, is he going to say something? He's gonna... Because we always have something going on, right? There's screens, there's music, there, right? We've talked about this. But what I found in these moments of just being quiet and being still, Scripture says, be still and know that I am the Lord. Come on, know that I am God. And it was in these moments it began to put me on a journey of transformation. And so what, what I'm saying is in these moments it was about me asking God, I, I want you to get this, asking God to speak to me in some way that I could feel or hear or understand get this, that was outside of my normal way of engaging with God. Now think about this. There's plenty of counselors who counsel marriages and they'll say things like, hey, change it up a little bit. Because it, relationships can become routine, right? 
And so even our relationship with God can become so routine that sometimes we're missing what's really going on. And so, you know, what's great about this journey for me of being present, of, of having those, I'm telling you, the first time I ever did, I said, okay, I'm going to do 20 minutes of silence. It was like two hours. That's what it felt like. It was just this, but the more I've done it, the easier it gets, and now it's my, my peaceful place. Now, there's times where I don't feel, you know what I'm saying, like, ooh, like the Holy Spirit moved. But then there's other times where stuff will raise to the surface in my heart, didn't know it was there. I'm like, whoa. And it's like Holy Spirit saying, all right, son, time to deal with some stuff. I'm like, oh, man, okay, okay. So not every session's like, woohoo, rainbows and unicorns, this is awesome. But it's taught me to be still. It's taught me to know that God is my God, that God is with me. And so what it's done in the journey is it's brought new insight. It's, it's brought new ways of seeing scripture and seeing text. You know, things that I love to do, now I start to see things from a different way. Even things I've read a million times before, studied before, it brings it into a whole new light. It's not just how I understood, but what these themes meant and mean to me, which brings me really to where I want to go today. I'm going to talk about this idea of how simple, quiet time with the Lord and saying, I really want to, I want to hear your voice. I'm not saying audible, but we all hear in different ways. For me, a lot of times, there's just something. It's an inner knowing. It's an inner thing, um, which l- let me say this too, because some people, when you start talking about this type of stuff, they kind of move around their seat a little bit. It's kind of uncomfortable. Unless you're charismatic. They're like, yeah, 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 experience. Well, sometimes they can go so far the other way that you're trying to get a Holy Ghost goosebump and it's not really the Lord, okay? So there's ditches on both sides. You follow me? But, but don't be uncomfortable because we're going to look in the scripture today and see that, okay, this spiritual connection thing is like real, And what it's going to do is it's going to change your perception of reality to a place where you go, wow, I can live above my circumstances. doesn't mean that things won't happen, but you can live with the peace and the joy and the goodness and the connection that's always there, but sometimes we miss it. Does that make sense? And so I might say this a lot today. Are you with me? Because I don't want to lose you. And we're going to use scripture to back this stuff up. So it's not like, wow, did Andy... Would the pastor Andy take something this morning before he came? Nope, no gummies, guys. Nothing like that. This is scriptural, okay? And so the first thing I want to think or talk about is this idea of the biblical story. When we look at the story, we see things like prayer, the presence of God. We we see uh, you know gardens and and mountaintops and heaven and the temple and really the relationship between heaven and earth. This is. Really, we see this through, but I want to say something to you. It's all about one thing. Say one thing. I want to start today in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. And I've got a lot of notes here, so I may or may not do them all, but just stick with me today because I really want us to see this. This has been so transformative in my life. You trust me? All right. So Jesus is on the cross here. Most of us know that Jesus died on the cross. Anyone? Hey, the beauty of it is he resurrected again. Come on, somebody. But as he's on the cross, did you know that there were two people who were crucified with him? Thieves, criminals, uh, people who, I guess, technically by law should have been up there. I'm not saying crucifixion is the best way, right? But there's these two criminals next to Jesus. And so this conversation happens, which is wild. Do you ever think about stuff like try to put yourself there? What was happening? Like who's having conversations when they're hanging on a cross, like hanging on for dear life? That's crazy. But, but one of the criminals starts kind of, you know, razzing Jesus and, and saying some stuff. And the other, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you, he's defending Jesus. And at one point, the criminal who defended Jesus says to him in verse two, 30, or 42 of chapter 23, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So something was happening. He was starting to connect with Jesus somehow. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But I want us to pay attention to the answer Jesus gives him. He says, truly I tell you, today, when? Today you will be with me in paradise. What's he say? Today you will be with me where? Okay, let me ask you a question. In the past when I've read this, I just immediately inserted the word heaven. Anyone here? 
like somewhere, eternity, somewhere like that, which I'm not saying is wrong, nothing wrong with that, but you know me, I like to dig a little deeper. And this is where stuff starts to happen. What word did Jesus literally use here? Well, the word paradise is rendered from the Greek word paradesos, paradesos, which it's kind of funny. There's a lot of English words that we'll take from Latin or Greek and create our own word. This is almost an exact word with like an English form, paradesos or paradise. But here's the interesting thing. It's the Greek word for garden. For garden. Paradesos means garden. Now I want us to draw a visual of what's happening here. Jesus is hanging on the cross next to this criminal while they're dying, and he says, I'll see you in the garden later today. What? See how one word changes everything? And so you start to go, okay, wait. But think about this. If you're a Jewish man and you've been raised in the Hebrew Bible and you've been going to synagogue, there's only one garden that Jesus could be talking about. Does anyone know? The Garden of Eden. Insert mind-blown emoji. Like, we're going to a, the, the garden, not just a garden. We're the garden, right? Not the little raised garden that we had for a few years, but like the Garden of Eden. And the reason that we know that Jesus is referring to this is because of what Genesis says. But what does it mean for Jesus to say to somebody while he is dying to another person who is dying, I will meet you in the Garden of Eden later today? I mean, what could that possibly mean? It gets you to dig a little bit, doesn't it? Well, we know this, that the Garden of Eden is foundational for any Jew. I mean, it's the very beginning of the story. Say, in the beginning. In fact, it's found in Genesis, right? In Genesis chapter 2, we know that Genesis means beginnings. And so we go all the way back to the beginning. Now, in chapter 2, we see this account where God, from this, this water and this earth, he makes really two things. He, he makes a garden, right? He plants a garden, which is trees and shrubbery and bushes and all this stuff. But he also makes man. And then what does he do? He breathes the breath of life, his very life into man. So on the first page of the Bible, the foundation of Hebrew, and we could even say Christian faith, we see a place. Say a place. It's a garden. What garden? A garden of Eden. East of Eden. But we call it the garden of Eden, right? Let's not get technical, Bruce. People are going to like, I'm already losing them. But look, in Genesis 2.8, it says the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden and there he placed the man whom he had formed so think about this we know that the garden of Eden is in the past right Genesis literally means beginnings so it was in the beginning but but I want us to think about this this is where it starts to go right Jesus seems to imagine that it's the kind of place that you can meet up with someone later this afternoon when we're both dead. Are you with me? Didn't Jesus say these words? Okay. So here's the question then. You know I love questions because I want us to think. When is paradise? When is paradise? Is it the past or is it the future? But here's the thing. It gets more interesting. If you go to the end of the Bible, to the last book, Revelation... Not revelations, it's not plural, it's one revelation. Also, this is for another time, but it's the revelation of what? Jesus Christ. Good. I, I didn't want, if someone said end times, eh, wrong answer. It's revelation of Jesus. There's a, it's a big thing there. Eschatology matters. We're not getting into that today. But I want us to see something. On the very last page here of the last book, chapter 22, John has this scene. And I want to start in verse 1. It says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, water as clear as crystal, pouring out from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Look at this, flowing down the middle of the city's main street. I want you to catch this next line. On each side of the river is the, what is it? Tree of life, producing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month of the year. Its leaves are for the healing of the nations. Say hallelujah. We need healing. But I want you to zero in on something. What tree is it? <laughs> John sees a garden. I want, 
I want us to get this. John sees a garden. But, but the plot thickens because this isn't just a garden in the future, like later this afternoon. It's also a garden in the future, future, right? Like cosmic future. Are you with me? So back to the question, when is paradise? Is it in the past? Or is it in the future? Or is it in the future, future? Here's the thing. The plot think it's more. You're like, oh, come on. You got more? Yeah. Paul says something in Corinthians that's very interesting. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Start with verse 1. He says, boasting is necessary, though it is not beneficial. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Here we go with these visions and revelations. This right here. And he says this. I know a man in Christ. Now, when I read this, I chuckle. Because the man he's talking about is himself. So listen to this. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such, how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows. I don't know, I find that kind of funny. But look at this, verse 4. Was caught up into, Where? paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak now think about this to Paul talking about paradise or the garden and heaven it's talking of the same place it's a garden experience come on somebody and here's people experiencing something that we see in the past but we see in the future but we also see in the future future but think about this for Paul, this wasn't a past experience or a future experience. And even though he had this experience 14 years prior to him telling of it and writing of it, when he had the experience, this experience was now. It was present. Which brings me back to the question, when is paradise? Is it in the past? Or is it in the future? Or is it in the future future? Or is it in the present? Now, I hope that you have a deep, deep instinct that the answer to this question is yes. Are you still with me? We're creatures of time. We're creatures of space. And, and I knew coming in, I was like, Holy Spirit, help me to say the words in such a way that people don't go, he lost it. But this is scriptural. There's things happening to people that we certainly can't explain. It's one of those spiritual things I, I've talked about in the past, right? Like I, I've said, Paul says, and Paul says some, you know, even, even Peter said, I, you can't even understand some of the things Paul says. But Paul says that we are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. I'm like, Paul, what's going on, bro? Like you're on the earth, but you're seated. It's one of those things. It's one of those things where we may not know why, but get this, in our heart of hearts, we just know that this is the right answer, that paradise is now. It doesn't mean that everything's cushy and rainbows and unicorns. I'm not saying that. But this space, if you will, is real and it's available to us. Revelation 1.8 says, this is God speaking. I am the Alpha and Omega. Now, this is Greek alphabet beginning and end, right? Look at this. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, for a lot of us, this is really hard to wrap our head around. Um, my, my son, Aiden, and I just, on a whim, I was like, oh, I haven't seen the Flash movie. Let's check that out. Has anyone seen the Flash movie? Wow, was that like, whoa, like your mind, you had to keep, they were showing you visuals to try to help you, but I kept finding myself, okay, where's he at again? What's happening? Because he could run so fast that he could go backward, and he's in these moments. But I don't think these concepts necessarily are just coming out of thin air. There, there's something about a reality that many of us don't see. Are you with me so far? And, and let me just say that John experienced this too. John said that he was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. How many know they couldn't kill this guy, and so they exiled him. They put him in exile on an island. But at one point in Revelation, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So here we go again with these guys who are in the spirit. Woo-hoo, you know, somehow what is going on here? 
But then he, he goes on to say that he was no longer on the island of Patmos, but he was in the heavenly temple. And get this, he meets a man in this temple who's on fire. What? Now, to us, I mean, come on, we've seen Ghost Rider. Like, we're like, yeah, yeah, that's cool and stuff. But John, in the first century, has probably never seen anything like this. So there's this man who's on fire. Not only is on fire, he, this is crazy. He recognizes that he's wearing the high priest garb, right? And this is the, the high priest garb that's worn in the holy place. I mean, he even describes some what he's seeing. He said, you know, he sees the menorah. He sees the smoke that's filling, you know, the incense. These are uh, uh, different components that are within the, the physical temple. But here's the thing. He's not in the temple in Jerusalem. He's in a heavenly temple. And then suddenly it comes to him, his, his mind. He realizes that this man on fire was the risen Christ. This was Jesus standing before him. And Jesus asked him a question. He said, hey, I need you to write some letters to some of the churches. Which ones? The one on earth, Jesus? or is there... No, no, no. The ones on earth. I want you to write some letters. His second letter was to the church of Ephesus. And Jesus tells them that if they were to overcome the obstacles, basically, that are in their way of following me, he says, you will eat of the tree of life in paradise. Here it is again. This whole idea of a tree of life, this whole idea of paradise or a garden. So here's the thing. When is paradise? Is it past or present or future or future, future? We know the answer is yes. So if paradise is all those things, then the next question is where? Where is paradise? You see, from John's perspective, he was on an island, but no, no, he was in the spirit, but no, no, he was also in heaven. Oh, wait, wait, but I'm in a heavenly temple. How are you guys doing so far? I know this sounds like a futuristic movie, but I'm just reading scripture. There's, there's something more going on below the surface. And what I'm seeing, and this is what I want us to get, is that Jesus and Paul and the biblical authors have very different ways of seeing reality. Very different ways of seeing reality, especially compared to how people in our current culture see reality. Come on. So apparently, and I was, I was thinking about this yesterday when I was, you know, kind of working on these notes. I thought, you know, what's crazy is we're so in tune with sight, taste, feel, sound, right? That we will literally go to virtual reality to get out of it. We put on goggles and people are creating stuff so we can get into another reality, yet people thousands of years ago were already doing this. So apparently paradise in the Bible is a symbol and image that can be described as, we went through a list earlier, prayer, presence of God. We have gardens, mountaintops, heaven, temples, really the relationship between heaven and earth. But it was fundamental in how Jesus and the biblical authors saw reality. And that imaginative picture of the world is this. It's that somehow there is a truest, most foundational, most fundamental dimension of reality that is actually undergirding and making all the rest of reality possible. Have you even taken any time just to, I mean, science has gone so far with like, I don't know how far, I mean, string theory and all, how small things get. That was one thing, Bruce, that was so cool is how flash could vibrate. Because do you know this, that nothing is actually solid? Pastor, what have you been smoking? Nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that here's the thing is science has finally caught up to what God's known all along because he created it. And I loved how he could vibrate in such a way that the molecules of a solid door, or so we thought, he could go through it. And we trip out when we read a scripture that Jesus walked through a wall. He was doing Flash stuff, man, before Flash did it. That's what I thought last night anyway. Listen, these ideas aren't new. And don't weird out too much. Just stick with me. We're going somewhere here with this. But in fact, reality is not perceptible, as far as I can see it, to our five senses. And it's actually not perceivable 
in the four-dimensional reality that we inhabit. You know, we inhabit height and width and depth and time, right? But it's not just real. It's more real than anything else. And the reason it's more real, this gets me, the reason it's more real than anything else is because it's not just a place. It's not just a time. It's a person. It's Jesus it's a spirit, the spirit of Christ. Has anyone ever read the prologue to John's gospel? I mean, there's some like, what? But what he's saying is everything has come through. All of creation has come through Christ, which, by the way, is the word of God. I know sometimes we can mix it. Hey, have you read the word of God today? It's like, what do you mean? Oh, the Bible. Well, that's the Bible. But the word of God, according to scripture, is Jesus Jesus is what God has to say to us. Nothing wrong with calling it the word of God. I'm just saying sometimes semantics matter. And so there's this force, right? There's something we see here. And how do I know it's a person? Remember, Jesus said to the thief on the cross next to him, the crook, he said, you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be with me in the garden. And he says in the letter to the Ephesians in Revelation that those who overcome will be with me to eat of the tree of life. So when we talk about paradise, when we talk about a garden experience, we talk about a person who is the eternal now. Amen. Now, you might be going, Pastor, what does it have to do with reality? Everything. Because when we begin to understand that reality is so much more than we've boxed into, we begin to see things for what they really are. We begin to see and receive truth. We begin to, there's something about us that say, I am connected with the source of life. Can you feel that? I thought about it like this. When you were little, did you ever, you know, make little cartoons and drawings of stick figures or a picture? You know, usually it's mom and dad and, 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 and uh, the kid and, and the dog. There's a house with smoke coming out of the chimney. But how many know that's usually 2D? Like a little mind doesn't get it. So imagine, to me, this is kind of like a two-dimensional person trying to see a three-dimensional ball. They don't have the space to move around and see that this is, oh, this is a sphere. This is a ball. Does that make sense? It's the same way when we get locked in to what we feel is the only reality that exists. And for these biblical authors, for Jesus, for Paul, they saw that there was more going on below the surface. It's a view of reality that says there is a beautiful mind. There's a beautiful heart at the source of all being and existence. And without that outpouring, other-centered love, sustaining person, there is not a moment. Now, let me say it like this. There's not a molecule in our universe that would even exist in the first place. We exist because of Christ. We exist because of this force. And so you can be in the past or you can be in the present. You can be in the future. You can be in the future future. You could even be on a Greek island called Patmos. And all you are is one moment away from seeing paradise. One moment away from seeing the garden. So think about that. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you may go through in the future, no matter where you are, the presence of Jesus is always there. This is what I want us to awaken a little bit more to, that Jesus is always there. He made a promise, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will not abandon you. Are you with me? So when is paradise? Always, right? It's, it's a now thing. It's like now, it's, it's always. It's, it doesn't matter where it is. Because again, we get caught up in timelines. Watch Flash today, you'll know what I'm talking about. But we get caught up in timelines, right? And so what I want to do is I don't have a lot of time, and so we're not going to, you can look up the actual references later, but I just want to go through a couple stories of experiences. How many are familiar with Jacob? Jacob was the son of who? Anyone know? Well, he was part of the lineage of Abraham, right? And so Jacob later became, do you know what he became? Israel. And that's where we get the, the country or the nation Israel from. But Jacob was, uh, he was a chump. He really was. I mean, he was a deceiver. He was a liar. He was a thief. In fact, at this point in the story that we're going to talk about, he literally, 
he, he connived with his mother to steal the birthright of his older brother Esau. And so Esau wasn't so happy about that. And so he ran for his life. And as he's running for his life, he has this moment where he lays down to go to sleep and suddenly has a vision. He has this dream. He has this vision. And he sees a ladder that's connecting heaven and earth. It's all about spiritual connection. He sees this ladder. And what's really interesting in this is this fire concept. I was digging deeper into this, and some of the the Jewish scholars actually say that um, the, the early Hebrew um, um, writings said that when he looked at the top of the ladder and saw a face, he said, a face as carved out of fire. I don't know what all this fire is about. We know that God's an all-consuming fire, but there's this fire. And so we see Jesus as a fire in Revelation. And we see Jesus as a fire, God as a fire here with Jacob. But what's interesting is he says, I am with you and will watch over you. The lying thieving, conniving person, he says, I am with you and will watch over you. I'm telling you what, that just shows you that God's no respecter of persons. Jacob was available to see. He saw something that no one else would see. And what's interesting, this is what I took away from this, is it's not the place that Jacob went that made the place sacred. It was his encounter with paradise that makes the space holy. He was in the middle of a desert. I mean, a desolate land, and he connects. And then he even awakens and changes the name of the place because he's like, this place is holy. I've seen the Lord. Here's the takeaway. We can be anywhere at any time and be in connection with the source, connection with something holy. Another story, Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet, and during his time of being a prophet, they were exiled to Babylon. And here he is in Babylon, the prophet of Israel, sitting in a house with some friends. And suddenly he wasn't sitting there with the house with his friends anymore. It actually says, the Hebrew says he was lifted up. The hand of God grabbed him by the hair and pulled him out of his seat. That's kind of wild, right? Maybe that's what it felt like. Like, whoa, like, am I at Cedar Point? Of course, that didn't exist back then, right? So he's pulled up, and and it says, literally, he was caught up in between land and sky. So here we are with these crazy visions. I don't know what these guys were eating, but they were having some visions, right? And, And get this, Yahweh was seen as a figure of fire. Here's that figure of fire again. Now, I'm saying this stuff, and listen, I'm no psychologist, but I do know that when we're younger, we have a different sense of reality, don't we? Listen, when you're young, you, can, you have imaginary friends. No one thinks they're loony. Now, if you're 25 and you have imaginary friends, we, we're like, hey, what's going on here? But you have imaginary friends. You, you, you make up you know, fantasy stuff, and it's like you can, you can find a rock, and suddenly you can play for hours with a rock. You're like, what? No, I need screens. I need things. Now, maybe we're conditioning these kids too much. But when you're really little, it's like the sky's the limit. You can be anything you want to be in life. And what I found through years of counseling and, and study in, in my own therapy is it's, it's only through the time of being hurt and let down by family and friends and really just the world, the world system, that we suddenly begin to build barriers. We, we build these barriers around how we think and how we see. We develop coping habits for self-preservation. It's just how it happens. And then what we literally do is we rewire our brain to see the world with a smaller view. Now, if you ever see someone who's super successful, somehow, I don't know how, but if you listen to the way they talk, there's not a narrow view of the world to them. I remember Kristen and I, we were on a trip, and we, um, I don't know if you've read Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, awesome book, but this dude, like, had no narrow view. Like, it was like, green light, I'm going, oh, the universe, red light, okay, oh, green light. I mean, it's, it's like, they just have this different way of seeing things. And so, I'm not saying to follow Matthew McConaughey as your Lord and Savior. What I'm saying is, some people have not closed their mind off to a place where everything becomes so small that you can't see anything in the world other than that way. Does that make sense? But there's something that happens when all of our guards 
are down. And science has shown us this especially happens when we're asleep. Because when you're asleep, did you know that you're still conscious? But you're literally working on a different level of consciousness. It's like the subconscious level. It's a soul level. It's a being level of consciousness. And in this vulnerable state, we're open to reality. And it's a way that we're totally guarded against when we're in a conscious state. And I suddenly realized as I started, because I'm a reader, I'm a digger, I like to you know, see all this stuff. When, I, when I've seen and read the science on the brain and how that works, and I've seen how these apostles and Jesus, how they handled reality, I suddenly realized that this is what the biblical authors are talking about. They're using images of gardens and mountaintops and clouds and you know, ladders and bridges between heaven and earth. They're really trying to tell us something that you and I are actually living in a subversion of reality. There's something more, something that's so much fuller and deeper, a reality that's fuller and deeper that's surrounding us and makes every moment and every, every molecule possible in the first place. Are you still with me? Paul says some strong words. Um, he had a message, sermon, whatever you want to call it, um, on Mars Hill, and he's talking to these Greeks, and he says to them, talking of God, in him we live and move and have our being. And then he writes a letter to one of the churches, and he says, one God and the Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. How many? All. Listen, you're not alive unless you're animated by the Spirit of Christ. There's just no way around it. That's the force of life. In creation, we saw that he made man, but what, what animated the man? His breath, the breath of life. This should help us to stop labeling people and seeing people as less than or other. They might just people, be people who are lost and don't see the truth of who they are. I get it. I understand. That's why people like Michael Lusk and you and I and Guy Henry and these, these people we, that, that we support, that's why we continue to preach the gospel because people need to hear the gospel. People need to hear that, that there's a connection there that God has made available thousands of years ago. And all you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is step into it and say, I receive it. And many of us here have done that today. But see, I think it goes just a little bit deeper reading this. There's this place where we can actually find this connection that's so strong that it goes deeper than the reality that we've known, the, the, the walls of our mind that we boxed in. Are you with me so far? And so you can see that through tradition, you know, how you're raised and the experiences we've had, we've created and developed a, a certain set of habits for how we engage with Jesus, for how we engage with our faith. And the thing is, it's primarily our conscious mind. And so there's something that we're seeing from these biblical authors and from Jesus and from the apostles that there's more to it. There's more to the story. There's something just below the surface. surface. I want to end with just one more story of Jesus how many know Jesus loved to pray? He loved that connection with God. And so, you know, Jesus in Luke chapter 9, <clears throat> excuse me, Luke chapter 9, it talks of this time where he went away to pray. Now, sometimes Jesus would, would go up and he would pray for a full, like all night. And I think of this experience that's happening next, and I just wonder if like, I don't think Jesus just went and was quoting Bible verses. I mean, who knows what, what Jesus was doing there, what Father was showing him. But in this, in this particular time, he takes three apostles with him, Peter, James, and John. And many of you know the story, but they're praying, right? And in the midst of this praying, suddenly, this is so wild, they end up seeing Jesus just as Jacob and Ezekiel and John later would as fire or shining super bright, like I mean, I can't imagine what must, what must have went through their mind when suddenly Jesus was glowing. The only way they could describe it is like his clothes are, are so radiant. It's just like it's white as white can be. I mean, how do you put that in the words, right? But then the next thing that happens is very interesting. It says that a cloud formed. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I've read this, I don't know how many times, and I would just, 
you know, kind of think of the story of Jesus at the baptism that a cloud appeared. So where do we think clouds are? In the sky, right? So I'm thinking, well, here's my picture, you know, probably too many cartoons, but I'm picturing like Jesus is praying, his disciples are they're there, and, and all of a sudden the cloud goes above them, and there's a voice coming from the clouds. I mean, that looks good on a felt board in children's church, right? But what it says is that a cloud formed around them. In fact, it said it began to take over their space, and they were a little bit like, what's going on right now? Like, there wasn't any fog when we first got here. Listen, from every experience that I've read so far, were they in a vision? Were they seeing something that was not necessarily this realm? I mean, it's pretty interesting to think about. But here's the crazy thing. It was only in this space where they're surrounded in this moment, whether it's in time or out of time, it's in this moment that they discovered or the true identity of Jesus was revealed because a voice within that cloud says, this is my son, listen to him. Now, when they went up that mountain, I don't know what their thoughts were of Jesus. I mean, Peter seems to have caught something there. You're the Christ, you're, you're Lord. But for a lot of people, the story was many different stories. Oh, he, he's that, the son of a carpenter from Galilee. Oh, he, he's a good teacher. Oh, he's a rabbi. Oh, he's that guy that, that'll get you some food if you need it because somehow he can change like loaves of bread into enough for all of us to eat. I mean, we don't know. But in this moment, in this space, in this quiet time, they suddenly saw this is God in flesh. This is the Messiah. And it was in this moment. What prayer apparently is, is a way of engaging your whole person. And this is what I found. It's, it's not just, yeah, hey, God, I'm going to say a couple things to you and then not even listen. It's a moment where we engage our whole person and surrendering the ways in which we manipulate and distort reality to the way that we think it should be. Surrendering our whole being to the eternal now. And again, the eternal now is not just an energy. It's not just a force. It's a person. And the more that I grow in this, the more, you know, we're, we're encouraged by the apostles constantly to, to take on a deeper knowledge of Christ, a knowledge of Christ and who Christ is. And what I'm seeing is this is a beautiful, beautiful person a spirit who became a human and poured out his entire life in an act of self-giving love. And that is the eternal now that we have the privilege of connecting with through prayer. And so I want us to see this is more than just, okay, I, I, I put my five minutes aside, I said a quick prayer. Nothing wrong with that. Sometimes those quick prayers are necessary. That's fine. But I really want to encourage you that maybe this is something new and a new way to engage with God, but a way to just get away from everything. Turn off all the devices, all the sound, and I'm telling you, it's going to be awkward. It's going to feel weird. You're going to just be like, what am I doing? If people could, if I was on video right now, I'd be like, what is up with this nutcase? Because nobody knows how to slow down and be quiet. They just, we don't. But I encourage you to give it a shot. And I want us to just think about how do we put this into our day-to-day? -day? I mean, maybe you have a boss that you don't really like. They're not giving you that promotion. Maybe they let you go from the job. Maybe for some of you, you have a child who they just seem to not be going that way that you wanted them to go in life. And it just, it just is consuming you all the time. Maybe it's someone has told a lie about you or betrayed you. There's a number of different things that can be happening to us. Let's even go all the way to the end. Guess what? We're all going to experience death, aren't we? But here's the answer. No matter what we're going through, even on to death, close your eyes. I want you to picture this. Jesus is saying to you, today you can be with me in paradise. Today you can be with me in the garden. Come be with me. Come experience fulfilling, true deep life with me. Will you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this connection that we have with you. I pray that this year, 2024, 
that for many of us, it would become more real than it's ever been before. That it's not just a ritualistic type of thing that we do because someone at a church told me to. And I'm all about devotional time. I'm all about setting time aside to pray and make your request known to God. But there's something about being quiet, about being still, and knowing that God is God. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for this privilege that we have to connect with you, to go beyond this 4D space. Not just to be weird, but to see things how you see things. And I pray that we'll seize those opportunities to get away, to be quiet, and to be still. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Did you receive that this morning? Isn't that, no matter what you're going through, this is good. This is something I just, man, it just puts me to a whole, having that peace beyond all understanding, having joy in the midst of things where it just doesn't seem like I should be joyful. doesn't mean it's perfect all the time, but when you get in that space, it makes a difference. So I encourage you to find that space. And listen, your journey is different than mine. I'm not trying to say, hey, look it, I'm up here. Meet me, I'm, I'm doing so good. No, no, I'm saying find your space. How does that work for you? Does that make sense? Awesome. Well, we're gonna continue next week. Now's the time. We got some different things we're gonna talk about. Now's the time to seize those opportunities to be the best version of ourselves, that, that self that God has already made you to be, but sometimes it takes time for us to wake into it, amen? So I encourage you guys, just think about that, ponder on that. If you have any questions afterward, by all means, come up and talk to me. I'd love to have a conversation over it, but just know this, we love you guys. We're praying for you, and we'll see you next week, 10 a.m. Have a good week. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.